Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. All right, Father's Day. Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to the fathers. And, um, and specifically, I also want to point out those mothers that are in this house that are taking on that role uh, where the father is absent for whatever reason. But the, the women that are also doing a dual role, you weren't called to do that, but you're doing it. And I acknowledge that and I respect that. And, uh, wow, this is beautiful. Today's Father's Day, as we all know, and it's a celebration of fathers. It's where we acknowledge and honour fatherhood, the paternal bonds and the roles that fathers play in society. Although it's a, con- a concept that's adapted and implemented by the Western world and the, and the Western calendar, and it's celebrated at different times throughout the year in different parts of the world, it's a principle, the principle of acknowledging our fathers is something very biblical. And uh, today I'll focus on that. I'll focus on men specifically because it is Father's Day. Um, but I want to take a deeper dive into the heart and or the role of a father. Um, now the heart of a father is a place that can often be described or thought of as a wild and exciting and somewhat laid back in some aspects environment. But it's also a place where joy, battle and strategy are played out, a place that is deeper, more ferocious, yet tender, sensitive and vulnerable than how it is perceived. We often get away with talking about dad bods and dad jokes. And, uh, and, and dads are somewhat quite larrikin at heart, but there's so much more to what, what a dad is. And I think as Brett spoke about, it really points out the significance of, of a role of a father. The heart of a, heart of a father is, is where the yearning for identity begins, where sincere exploration is required to discover, excavate, hone, harness and step into this mantle that sits upon our shoulders. This morning, I want to explore the identity when it comes to the role and the internal workings of the heart of a father or the role of a father. And this will be done by, uh, by looking at and examining three aspects of a man called David that we're all familiar with, who is in the Bible described as being a man after God's own heart. And the first scripture I want to look at is uh, 1 Samuel 13, 14. And I won't spend much time there, but I just want to lay some foundation. Um, and it says in here, this is where, where Saul, Saul has uh, disobeyed the Lord and he's gone about and he's, he's done his own sacrifice unto the Lord. He, he grew impatient. He was supposed to wait for Samuel, but he's done his, done his own sacrifice. And Samuel rocks up and disciplines him. And he says, But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept, these, kept the Lord's commandments. And then further on in the New Testament, down in Acts, um, Acts 13, 22. And I won't go through that either, but Paul is talking about the history of Israel and the lineage of David and Jesus, and he's, he's tying it all together. He's talking about Christ, the promised Saviour. But in here he speaks and he says, For he raised up for them David as king, to whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. Now, I've used these scriptures as a foundation for David to set the scene. Now, I pray that the word that is delivered today will provoke the inner working of a man's heart, the inner working of that of a husband and a father in each of us, regardless of what your status is. If you're a past father, 
if you're absent, if you're current, if you're future biological step foster, if you're the women that are, that are taking on that role, and if you're a spiritual father in this house, how much more is that, resonate, that need to resonate in our hearts? I'm just going to pray before we kick into it. Lord God, I give you thanks, Lord Father. We just lift up your name. We praise you and give you all glory this morning. You are mighty. You are worthy of all praise and all honour. Lord God, as we celebrate Father's Day today and we speak about it, Lord God, let it resonate within us. Lord God, that those without a father will look to you as one. Lord God, those of us without an example will look to you. Lord God, not only as an example, but something to lead us and guide us into the inner workings and manifestations and demonstrations as we step into this role. Let your name be praised. Let your word speak. Glory to your name. Amen. All right, so talking about David, um, and forgive me if I keep looking down here, I do want to look at you guys and I do want to share this with you, but I need to stay on track. <laughs> so this talk, this, the story of David uh, for where I'm going to pick up is in Samuel, Samuel 1, Samuel 1, 16, and the prophet Samuel has been sent to the house or sent to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse to anoint the, or to find the new king. Because of what old mate has done, old Saul, God wants to find a new king. And uh, please excuse my vernacular, my choice of words. But um, so he goes down to the house of Jesse and he starts looking at all these men and he starts seeing and he's, he notices Eliab and all the different sons and there's some strapping young characters. Some of them, some of David's uh, brothers are already soldiers um, and are recognised. So Samuel looks at him and he's like, oh, this is the bloke that, that God wants. But God reminds him and he says, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see him as man sees. For, the, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so Samuel, Samuel makes his way looking through the different sons and he's like, nope, not this one, no, not this one, no, not this one. It's a very Cinderella type story. And, uh, and we start looking, we're trying to find out where this other bloke is. And so... Samuel says to Jesse, are all the young men here? This is in Samuel 16, 1 Samuel 16, 11 to 13. Um, you don't have to turn to it. I'm just going to narrate. And Samuel says, are they all here? And I'll paraphrase too. Right. <laughs> there remains yet the youngest, and he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel says to Jesse, send him and bring him here, for we will not sit down until he comes. And so they send for, for David. And it talks about David. And it says, now he was a ruddy with bright eyes and... Um, Ruddy with bright eyes, good looking, he's a good looking rooster. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for he is the one. Then Samuel took the horn and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now we understand from this scripture that old mate David is a shepherd and he's out looking after his father's sheep. Now I had a good chat with my son. I was having a chat with Reuben. Uh, Reuben and I have a, a great relationship, I think. And, um, and he's a boy that I love. I love all my, my sons, but there's something strong that I have with Reuben when it comes to conversation. So in, pre in preparation for this, I said, Reuben, rather than go into a dictionary, I said, Reuben, tell me what a shepherd does. And he goes, somebody that guards sheep. If something comes to harm the sheep, the shepherd will protect them. They chase away the person or the animal that's threatening them. They feed the sheep. They take care of them when they are sick. They take care of every single one and they don't leave one out. The shepherds still care for them, even if they wander off. 
And I'm like, this is the, this is the words coming from my son who's 10. And so, and that, that reminds me of, you know, the father in the prodigal son story, you know, the, the wandering sheep comes back, and this kid has got it down-packed. Uh, so in addition to this, I've added a couple of points that I looked at. Shepherds also observe the seasons, so they sit there and they, and I'm not a farmer, born in the country, but I'm not a farmer. And the shepherds are the ones that observe the seasons. They, they know when there's birthing and breeding and rearing, and they rotate them through paddocks uh, or through fields. Um, they see when the storms are coming, all sorts of things. They've got to keep their eye out. They also understand the value of sheep. They understand that sheep are vulnerable and defenceless, and so they need to be there. They also understand that sheep have no sense of direction, and they need someone to guide them. Now, the duty and the role of the shepherd resonated so much with David that his contemplations and his parallels were drawn when composing the most recognized psalm, Psalm 23. And we know Psalm 23... Um, you can turn to it if you like. I'm going to turn to it for a different spin on this. And I don't, want to, I don't want to be seen to be taking and adding words to the Bible, that things that aren't there. But I just want to let, share with you how this resonates with me. Given that it's Father's Day, some of you that are fathers may have received a Father's Day card. And if you are fathers, your sons or your children or your daughters may have boasted about you at school. And talking about how you're stronger than the other kid's dad and right. etc. <laughs> and we understand this scripture, so I'm not going to read it the way it is. But I'm just going to flip it a little bit. And I'd imagine my son would say this about me or my children would say this about me. Levi is my father and I, and I shall not want. That I'm his father and I'm someone that... And, and it reads the same. That I provide for my son or provide for my children. You're going to forget that there's other kids in my house because I keep focusing on Reuben. But (laughs) my dad, he leads me to lie down. I hope that I've prepared and provided a safe place for my sons and my children to lay their heads. I think it's something that I do. I think that I sits on my heart. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I think these moments that I share with my son, I hope that that reflects and gives him a place and a an environment where he can easily open up his heart and share with me. My daughters can have a place where they can come and reflect and ponder with the Father's heart. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, so he disciplines me. He corrects me when I need to. Sometimes I sit there, and this is what I'm going to speak about my other son. I sit down with Elijah, and I go, Elijah, what's your name? And he's like, Elijah, and I'm like, Elijah what? Elijah Brooklyn? Elijah Brooklyn who? Elijah Brooklyn Islam. And what does that mean? He goes... Islam means I'm your son? And I'm like, yes. And I said, does dad act like this? Does dad say this? Does dad do this? He's like, no, what does dad do? He does this, he does this, he does this. And I said, if you're my son, then this is how we behave. And we see the same parallels with ourselves. The Lord is, again, leading us in the path of his righteousness. And it says, yo, that I walk through the valley that shadow the death, I'll feel no evil. In the dark place, how many times has dad's that we comfort our children in these places. In their, in their mind, they think it's very, very real. A nightmare might pop up. My daughter last night experienced exactly that. And I'm not saying this to boast, to speak about how much of a great father I am. But she kept waking up in the middle of the night. Things going around in her head. Held her in my arms. Whose house are you in? Your house. Whose arms are you in? Your arms. And it's keeping her safe. Whose bed are you in? My bed. 
It's keeping her safe, keeping her strong. He prepares, oh, the rod and the staff, once again, the discipline and the direction. And the staff, they comforted me. Children like boundaries. When the boundaries aren't there, they run loose. They thrive when there's boundaries. I'm not saying being a dictator, but I'm saying boundaries. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. How many times, you might, I don't know if you've taken your kids to Maccas or the other things are going on, and there might be a kid who's bullying him that's from school, or, oh, there's so-and-so, and he says this, son, it's just you and me. Let's just sit here. Don't worry about what they're doing. Right now, you've got a Sunday in front of you, and you've got a dad right here. Don't worry about them. We're right here. Let's enjoy this time. You've got a flake in yours. I had a burger with my son the other day. It was just, it's uh, sitting, and this is that intimacy we want. And so I won't read the rest of it, but I want to leave that there with you. So this, this, the idea of a shepherdship resonates so much with David. It depicts, in Psalm 23, it depicts the very ideals that we envisage, not only of a shepherd, but a father to express. More so we see in our Heavenly Father, which he clearly demonstrates. Within this psalm, David depicts and outlines not only the goodness of God, but what, what would be considered a review or possibly a JDF, a job description form, the core competencies and selection criteria of a shepherd. And I think I've covered that. I'm just going through it. I've got these notes. and I'm like, yep, 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 smashing through those. Now, the idea of a shepherd, I think it resonated so much with, with him. And, and that's why, and I'm only supposing, um, that when old Nathan rocked up later in David's life and he convicted him and corrected him, and called him out upon his sin with Bathsheba and the, the killing of Uriah, that he used the, the idea of a shepherd. He could have just come out and said it, or he could have said something else. But the idea of a shepherd, and I think that struck a chord with David, and it sits with him and it remains for him throughout his whole entire um, life. Now, as we go along in the story of David, not long after Samuel comes to anoint him, he is then summoned into the service of the king, King Saul, to play the harp. Saul has gone through some issues. Saul's gone through some stuff and he's getting depressed and all sorts of things are going on. And um, one of the servants say, how about you get a harp player to come in and they'll play some soothing music when you're feeling depressed and it'll take this away. And so Saul's like, yeah, that's a good idea. And we read this in 1 Samuel 16, 14 to 18. And so Saul says, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to him, well, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior and a man of war. He, is good ju- he has good judgment. and He's also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. They keep bringing up David's good looks. And, um, now then, in the next chapter, so David comes up, he starts playing for the harp. He, he serves in Saul's, Saul's palace or his kingdom. He serves Saul playing the harp, but he's also appointed out as an armor-bearer. Uh, for Saul, uh, in some degree. Then in 1 Samuel 17, we see Goliath turn up and he starts challenging the armies of Israel. Now from this, some time has passed and this confrontation happens and we're all aware of this story as well, uh, just as familiar with this story as we are with Psalm 23. So Goliath is out the front, parading in front of the armies of Israel, and he's challenging the army, and he's mocking, and he's threatening them, and he's doing this for day after day after day, for 40 days. Now David, he's been back and forth, serving as part player, 
going back to his father's house to look after the sheep. Now he rocks up on this particular day and he's riddled with zeal. And he isn't having a bar of it, but it's not just youthful bravado or cockiness. He's not just like, come on, mate. He's, he's, not, he's not sticking out his chest. But one thing we do see, when the servants of Saul were looking for a harp player, they talked about him back then. And they said, he's a harp player. He's good looking. But they also said, he's a brave warrior and a man of war. Now, he's not openly recognised as such um, with everyone else, but it's just that hidden scripture right there, that hidden line. He's recognised as a man of war and a warrior. Now he rocks up, David rocks up, and he talks to, to Saul. And uh, Lord, he just hold me one second. This keeps popping up and back and forth. Um, now he starts speaking to Saul. And uh, he says, let no man fear. Let no man fear or their heart be troubled because of Goliath. You know, the Lord God is with us. Um, and he wants, to go out and, he wants to go out and have a crack. Um, but Saul says to David, but you're not able to go against this Philistine and to fight him because you are, you're a young bloke, you're a youth, and he's a man of war and has been so since his youth. But David then stands up and he recalls moments when he was experiencing conflict and adversity when he was a shepherd looking after the sheep. And he says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep And when a lion and a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. Now this Philistine will be like them, seeing that he's defied the armies of the living God. Then Saul sees this and he offers David his armour. And David tries it on, but it doesn't seem to work. And he's not used to it, so he steps out and he takes his sling, and he goes out and he defeats Goliath. In that previous verse that, that I read earlier when he's being called up to be a harp player, likely he's known, or at some low level he's known, as a man of war and as a warrior. But right now, at this stage, he's now affirmed and universally recognised, well, in that, that area, he's now recognised on a grander scale as a warrior. And he steps into it. So I sat down again with Reuben and I said, Reuben, we're talking about David being a warrior now. What does a warrior do? It's, uh, according to Reubenpedia, it says, it's, uh, a warrior fights their enemies. They don't stop unless their enemies flee or are defeated. And he goes, they can walk through fire. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, that's a metaphor, Dad. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> And he goes, here I am just depicting all these fire walkers just, and uh, it's a metaphor, and I'm like, okay, I'll write that down, and uh, I've got that in brackets here. And uh, so he's saying they can walk through troubles, and I'm like, yeah, and he goes, they can handle crisis and situations, they keep safe, they're disciplined, and so I put practice their skill. He goes, they're calm and not cocky, and he goes, and they're serious when discussing certain matters. I'm like, hmm. He goes, even when they laugh, they still have strength. They can't lose their strength. And, uh, and he goes on to talk about other things. And I was like, come back, Reuben, to the story. And, uh, but I've also added a couple more. Warriors develop and apply strategy. And they're proactive. 
It's applied aggression. They're not aggressive. It's applied aggression when the time needs it. They're not walking around wielding swords and just swinging things around, you know, airboxing and shadowboxing. They're not doing that. They're, they're reserved, they're calm, they're collected. They need to have their thoughts about them. And it requires, and they're required to be alert and aware of potential threats. So not just immediate, but potential things that may come, keeping an eye on the horizon. This is where your shepherd skills are also coming in. As a shepherd sitting there looking up at the sky, and I know how much truth is in the you know, red sky shepherd's warning or red sky at night, shepherd's delight. And uh, I don't know the rest of that saying, but something like that. Now, I don't know how much truth is in that. But same with the warrior, keeping an eye on the temperature and the patterns and the themes and the trends that are going on in the kingdom and the surrounding nations, seeing what's going on economically, politically, um, looking out on a far-reaching scale. Now, when David was a shepherd, he was, he was responding to threats that would pop up. He knew that there was potential for bears and lions, etc. But when you're a warrior, it's much more at the forefront of your mind. As a shepherd, you're thinking about the vulnerabilities of sheep. You think about the breeding. You're thinking about the value. You've got to keep them. Sheep are very valuable. So you can get milk from them, fur from them, uh, wool, meat. Um, I think John Devine knows more about sheep than I would. And, uh, um, so David goes on, he becomes a, a great and mighty warrior. He becomes a captain of an army, and he has great success on the battlefield while serving for Saul. So much so that Saul becomes jealous and starts to perceive him as a threat, especially after hearing the songs of the women. And uh, I mean, imagine, I mean, the ego of any man, you know, your wife starts calling on and starts speaking about how great Jason Momoa is, or is there anything else? <laughs> Hence this shirt and these boots, Lisa. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to get a couple of tattoos. But if, you're, but if there's women singing about another bloke in the streets, that's going to get you, you know, the hairs on your back up. And so he starts getting, getting a bit jealous and he starts seeing David as a threat. And uh, so David, although as a great and trained warrior, he's now starting to evade King Saul. Now, this is going to happen with us in life. There's going to be moments where people sing our praises. There's going to be moments where you're standing and you're standing hard and people see an anointing on your life and other things may come up against you. Even if you just struggles, and I'm not talking about just spiritual, I'm talking about just real. Speak a bit of real. I think financially, I think mental health, I think you know, your own experience as a son of a father that may or may not have been there. You're going to have some issues popping up, prying up, having a, you know, speaking at your ego picking at and causing doubt and this is where you've got to stand and you've got to stand firm as a warrior you've got to, and I'm not saying being a violent man I'm not saying bring violence into your house I'm saying be aggressive in your prayer life I'm saying being trusting and standing strong and firm in the authority that you've got and, uh, and we sit there and look at it when David first rocked up he was considered a shepherd he's now defined and authorised as a soldier and a captain in the army of Saul so look at these issues and these things that come our way and think, how will we respond? We remind ourselves of God's identity and his goodness. We remind ourselves of our identity in God and in whose authority that we come in. Now, when David stepped out and he took on Goliath, he goes, I mean, Goliath's got all the choice words. He's saying all sorts of things and what he's going to do 
to David and rip him apart and all sorts of things and feed him to the birds of the air. And David goes up, he goes, Well, I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. So as I'm saying this, I'm saying this, if you know what I'm saying. I'm not just reading this, I'm declaring this over things in my life right now. And I want you to declare it over things in yours. I didn't mean to say that, but it needs to be said. I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel. And he goes on to declare, today the Lord will conquer you and I will cut off your head. There's things in your life, men, that you need to stand up against. You need to stand firm. There's no time for going back to your father's house and running off like anyone else and succumbing to the threats and the fears and the taunts of the enemy. There's these things that are going on. There's a time in the spiritual and the physical and the real where you've got to stand firm. And you need to start speaking in authority. Not yours. And not in your own strength. Pumping weights and spending time at the gym isn't going to do it. Spending time in the word and understanding who God is and who you are. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. And that authority in your prayer life, that authority in your spiritual life, then starts bleeding out and starts influencing every other aspect of your life. Your work life, your professional life, your relationships. There needs to be a line in the sand. You're already designed and identified as a conqueror. Romans 8, 35 to 38. It talks about this. And uh, I didn't prepare this, but I looked at it this morning. And uh, so I'll just rip it up if I can. And um, I think this needs to be in here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? For as it is written, for your sake we face death every day. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present, nor future, nor powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Saviour. These things we need to start declaring over our lives. We start having that as a reality in our hearts. Now, David's now being pursued. Saul's having a crack at him. And he's no longer able to serve as what he would like to have done in the house of Saul. So he's on the run. Saul keeps chasing after him. And David's got every opportunity to take him out. He's got the strength. He's got the ability. He's got the experience. He catches him sleeping. And he... Rather than taking him out, he cuts off the corner of his robe and then declares it to Saul the next morning. Saul sees it and his heart is changed. And then again, Saul wants to, to kill him. And then David once again has another opportunity to take him out, but he takes a spear and a jug of water instead and uses that once again as evidence that he doesn't mean any harm to Saul. Now, David's highly justified 
One would think, if the king or some bloke is having a crack at you and is constantly trying to kill you, throwing a spear at you, etc., and putting you under threat, you've got every right to respond the way anyone else would. And there's times in our lives, gents, that you're going to have reasons to respond. People sit there and go, oh, well, this bloke's doing that, this bloke's doing that, they're saying this, they're saying that, this threat's going on. Respond like this. Now, what David has shown in doing that, he shows patience, obedience, perseverance, restraint, and timing. Very justified to step out and take on Saul. Now, as fathers, we're going to have issues. We're going to have mates, we're going to have friends and family that are going to rally around us. And they're going to provide us with obvious and logical and reasonable and justified solutions and methods to respond and to react. And it's just like when Saul put on his armour or gave his armour to David. It's very logical. If you're, you see this shepherd boy who rocks up in a tunic and a rod, it's very logical if he's going up against somebody to stick a vest on him. It's very logical to give him a sword. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. It's quite logical. But the armour doesn't fit. And so old mate David takes it off and goes to what he's used to. He's used to fighting bears with a tunic on. He's grabbed it, more mobility, I don't know what it is, but he's used to that. His faith and his trust in God is what drove him. And the same with us gents. Whose arm are you going to try to wear? Whose arm are you trying to put on? And I can tell you whose armour I'm going to put on. And I know the armour that we should be putting on. As children of the Lord Most High, we must be conscious and deliberate in practice and equipping ourselves with the armour of God and the sword of the Spirit. First acknowledging the one who has identified us and in whose power we come. Now, I'm not saying that when you rock up the church, this is where you put your armour on, you're having a prayer meeting and we put on our armour on. Your armour's not for here. Your armour's for out there. Your armour's for out there. That's when you need to be putting your armour on. When you're going to work, when you're stepping out, when you're ministering, when you're going out there, you need to be putting this on. When we find that in Ephesians, and I'm so blessed and honoured that, that Dave's been preaching on Ephesians because it drives back home our true identity, it reminds us of who we are and who God is and our purpose as a church and as individuals. So Paul, in Ephesians, is talking about putting on the whole armour of God and you can throw that up or you can read it yourselves. It reminds us to put on every piece of armour so you resist the enemy in time of evil. So putting on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, having the shield of faith to protect yourself from the attacks of the enemy, and putting your helmet of salvation and take up the sword of the Spirit. Now they're not heavy to carry. They're not heavy to carry. And it says towards the end of the Ephesians, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for the believers everywhere. It's very much like the, the mandate of a warrior, staying alert, being aware of what's going on, 
what's going on politically and economically and things going around and about. Because if these guys fail economically, they're going to start wanting to fight somebody. And if their dollar value goes down, then there's something else that's going to go on. And I don't know whether David or not was aware of this, but very conscious of the issues and the temperature of the places around. Very conscious of the intent of the enemy. And you start reading the play. Now David ends up becoming king. Saul uh, ends up fighting with the Philistines. Ends up getting defeated. And in that, Saul takes his own life. Not long after, David is then crowned or anointed as king of Israel. And, uh, Lord God. Now all of Israel comes and we read in Chronicles. Now there's two versions like I've been bouncing back and forth. There's in, the back, in Samuel and in Chronicles, they tell versions of the David story. One's a very brutal, honest version. The other one's quite nice and like, yep, the Samuel part tells you all the things of David. Chronicles is a little bit more tidied up. And so in Chronicles, it goes, all of Israel come, come together to David at Hebron and they say, we're at your own flesh. And they anoint him, the king of Israel. Now God, if we read back further when Samuel first visited Bethlehem, David's already anointed as king of Israel. That calling's already on his life. There's going to be times where you're stepping into what is already on your life previously and understanding that grace that is already there, allowing yourselves and your heart and your ears and your eyes to be open up to the calling and the mandate that God has spoken over you, yeah? And then stepping into it. It may not happen directly, but stepping into it. So David becomes king, and uh, what he goes out to about to do, he's crowned king of Judah, he conquers Jerusalem and brings about one kingdom. There's division in the house, and we've read about that in Ephesians where Christ breaks down that wall of division and creates one. David brings about unity. He gets rid of an old lineage and old habits. He surrounds himself with mighty men, and we can read about David's mighty men. There's 30 of them, and there are just... 30 or 300, and they're, they're, um, they're amazing. You can read about their exploits. But the kind of men that when David's sitting outside a camp of the, the enemy, he's like, you know what, fellas, I'm thirsty. I could do it with a drink. Three men take it upon themselves to break enemy lines, to go into the well of the enemy territory and bring him back a drink. These are the kind of men that you need to surround yourself with. Men that are like-minded, that will stand strong and stand by you and assist you. There's a story about where David had to pay for the, for, for the daughter of Saul or he had to give Saul a gift. And, um, and so Saul is like, I'm just aware that there's children in the house. But uh, you can read that story and I guess you'll know exactly what David got him. But Saul wants 100, David goes out and takes 200. Now he's the kind of man that, that is, these are the kind of men you want around you. Um, so he surrounds himself with good men David as king prepares a place for the Ark of the Covenant and returns it back returns it back and this is where us as men preparing a place for God's presence and his anointing to be in our hearts in our marriages in our families and in our homes bringing about that place preparing that David is so conscious about the things of the Lord he's so passionate and he's got so much zeal 
that he's constantly reflecting, and you'd call it emotional intelligence now, and there's professional training in that, and people want that, and they continue to build it up. It's big in the, um, the executive management field. Um, emotional intelligence, and I think David had a lot of this, but I think he was just so connected to the heart of God. He constantly compared the dwelling place of the Ark of the Covenant to his own, and he's like, well, I'm living in this big flash house, and the Ark of the Covenant is out there in a tent in the rain. I want to build you a temple. And God's like, well, you're not going to build me a temple. You've too much going on in your life. And it, but it doesn't discourage David. If God's going to sit there and go, well, you're not going to be involved in this, Nathan, or Mitchell, you're not going to be involved in that. You know, that's for someone else. For right now, there's a bit going on. Are we going to throw our bike in the bush? Throw the baby out with the bathwater? You're a terrible father if you do that. And, uh, but uh, it's dad jokes day. It's father's day. I can throw these things in. But are you going to be discouraged? David doesn't get discouraged. He goes about preparing, preparing, preparing. He knows he's not going to be the one to build the temple. But he starts collecting together and gathering together all these resources so that the next generation, his son, can do it. He plans it out. He draws up the details. He gets all the gold and all sorts of things. He talks us through with his son. This is what's going on. This is how you're going to do it. As far as we sit down with our children, building that, ba- that baseline and that foundation, son, this is how we worship the Lord. Son, these are the things you need in your life. And continually showing our children, leading our sons and daughters in the way they should go, preparing them. I'm not going to be discouraged if I don't ever minister to the rest of the world. My sons and my daughters might. I may not have that opportunity, may have left. But I'll definitely feed into it and I'll definitely prepare for it. I'll definitely make sure that they've got the resources around them. David even went down to even looking at staffing for the temple, looking at all the people and what you might have in there. Nothing was beyond him and he just kept preparing this. David was repentant, even though he was king, he was repentant. He could have got rid rid of Nathan just like he did with Uriah and gone, okay, Nathan, thank you. Bang, on your bike, take out another prophet and just start doing his own thing. He could have easily done that. He's king, but he's repentant. He's repentant regardless of his roles. He had this urgency and this zeal for the Lord God. Now, God had a conversation with David, and David's like, yeah, God, I'm going to build you this grand house. I'm going to build you this temple for you can abide. And God's like, you're going to build me a house? You're going to build me a house? He's like, I haven't lived in a house since I started. I've rocked up and I've helped out Moses and I've done all these different things. He said, you're not going to build me a house. He said, I'm going to build you a house. He said, and I'm going to establish you and your name forever. And I'm going to establish a kingdom. And he speaks that and he flips the script on David. And as I say that with two tones, as much as we sit there and go, God, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to save the nations, and I'm going to, out in your name, I'm going to march, I'm going to minister, and I'm going to do all these mighty things, and God's going, really, are you? I'm going to do that, and this is how I'm going to use you. And what he calls us to be is obedient. David is, I look at David, and I don't use him as an excuse. 
and, and very much so we use it. We go, oh, well, David had a thousand wives and, and David did this and got away with murder and, and God loves him. He's still a man after God's own heart so I can murder a couple of people. And, <laughs> and you know, and this is what he'd done to the lads in Philistine. You know. No, it's not an excuse. It's an example. It's an example. So, man, God wants to build our legacy. He wants to add numbers and he wants to multiply you. But we need to be obedient and prepare. Preparing our children in the hearts of the future. As men and, God, men and children of God, called to be shepherds, warriors and kings, we need to become and remain conscious of this truth. God has placed his image upon you and ordained you, predestined and anointed you to step up, out and into the, kingship, the position of kingship. David has spent a lot, not King David, Pastor Dave, has spent a lot of time preparing and sharing some of this word over the last year, over the last six months. And if you haven't heard it, you need to go back and have a listen to it, especially focusing on Ephesians. Now, I use King, the life of King David as an example. It's the very message that we've got in, in Ephesians. It's about acknowledging Christ in our life and his leadership. It's about acknowledging his identity and our identity. It's about acknowledging purpose. Now, in my heart, and I dare say the hearts of fathers, a longing and a yearning not only for discovering, identifying and instigating this developing and the conversation of these inner versions of shepherd, warrior and king. But not just that, but the outworking and the manifestation of it. These traits aren't isolated, but they're very much interconnected and interwoven. You don't simply move from one into the next and forget the other. They're just as important, relevant and interchangeable with one another. And it's about encouraging and developing each one of those strains as you are as a father. There's going to be moments where you need to respond as a shepherd. There's going to be moments where you need to respond as a warrior. And there's moments in it where you need to respond as king. I'm not saying lords of your own house. I'm not saying lording of your wife. I don't want men to misinterpret that. But as Christ is king and head of the, the church, he lays down his life and he loves her. You look at David when he was out in the window in the balcony, he wasn't out marching where he should have been. He was at home. But if he'd focused and looked, I've got a wife who I love dearly. Look into your house and look what you've got there and count your blessings. If David had done that, it'd be a different story. Now, how you engage as a warrior and prayer is informed and influenced by the way you serve as a shepherd. Understanding the need at the local level. Understanding the value of your sheep. And as you are an operator, as a warrior informs your capacity as king and so forth. If we then have freedom, confidence and authority to exercise our role as shepherd, to serve as shepherd, to stand as a warrior and lead as a king, not only in our households and our families, but our community. Now I use this, I use David, but I want to reflect to a much larger example. That example is Jesus Christ, our king. One who came as a shepherd... And it says, it says in Matthew and Mark, it talks about when Christ, he sees the, sees the people gathering. And it says he looks upon them with compassion because he recognises and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Why sheep? Why not goats or pigs? Sheep, something of value, something of worth. People that don't have a direction, that need to hear the voice 
of the shepherd. He goes on to speak, I'm the shepherd, I'm the good shepherd. My shepherd know my voice and they hear me. A terrible shepherd will leave them to the wolves and will run off. A hired hand will just take off. But a good shepherd will stand and fight just like David did. Christ is our warrior and our champion. The enemy was gloating and standing there when, they saw, when he saw a shepherd. The enemy is looking at Jesus and he goes, he's just a shepherd, he's standing there. And he would have been mocking just like Goliath did. But Christ stood and he stepped up and he could have had all the armour on and he could have had all the armies of, of heaven with him. But he didn't. He stepped out by himself and he took on the enemy. We're reading Colossians 2.15. And in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and the authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And I imagine and I see it. The same way David stood against that, that, that giant. That Christ is there. When the hosts of heaven were standing by, when the very future of all creation depended upon it, one man came forward and stepped forward to take on the enemy, publicly shaming and rose in victory over the enemy by his sacrifice on the cross. But Christ rose again in his death, defeating the enemy. Overthrowing the reign of death, he rose again and crowned as king. And not only, not only just as king, but king of kings and lord of lords. He brought about unity. He brings down that wall of division. And establishes his name. He establishes a place of worship in our hearts. I use David as a man after God's own heart, someone who desired and pursued passionately the things of God, justice, honour, mercy. He was loyal, respectful, and trusting, constantly pouring out his heart before the Lord. As men, we are, yeah. It's not just dad bod. Father's Day isn't about dad jokes. It's not about corny socks that you might get to fill your drawers. It's about re-establishing and reaffirming the calling and the mandate on your life. The world sees dads as something else, as your Homer Simpsons, your El Bundy, and everything else, and it plays down the role and the significance of a father. You're much more than that. You're much more than that. You're a shepherd. You're withstanding the elements and you're guiding your sheep. Christ talks about he's got his own sheep and there's other sheep that he's not the shepherd of, but he's bringing them in. There'll be times when there's children in your life, there's people in your life that aren't, may not be yours. Whether they're spiritual children within this church that you need to put your arm around and lead them. As a warrior, you need to stand. and you need to stand and pray. Equip yourself with your armour. And as kings, asserting your authority. And throughout this, continuing to expose your heart to God. 
being transparent before your king. There's so much, there's so much rawness into the words that David has penned down where he just lays naked before the father. His heart is just so raw. And I want to encourage you men to step up, to step out and step into the place of shepherd, warrior and king. I was tempted to call this sermon, Who is your daddy and what does he do? Who is your daddy and what does he do? Think about that. Let it resonate. I want to honour once again, as I said earlier, men that are paternal, step, fathers-in-laws, spiritual, the mothers in this house that are taking that role. I want to honour you. May God bless you and keep you. May he strengthen you. May his light be upon you and guide you. Amen.